Good morning and welcome. Uh, just a little note on the announcements there. That's a men's uh, leadership uh, meeting, elders meeting, uh, that will be uh, held uh, Thursday night. Uh, with that, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, uh, we're wrapping up chapter 20 today. Uh, as we have gone through this for the last number of chapters, uh, the tribulation period, uh, last week we spoke about the millennial reign and uh, the final rebellion. Rebellion never seems to end uh, on this earth, but it will, it will come to an end. Uh, next week in chapters 21, we will see the new heavens and the new earth. Our future home, folks. Blessed real estate. <laughs> Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. We're looking at uh, just a few verses here. John writing, he says, uh, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no, no, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead uh, who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Aren't you thankful for that book of life? That's one place where you want your name, Amen. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, for the great deliverance that you provide. Lord, for whosoever would believe. Lord, we thank you. You make salvation so simple. Simple for us, but very sacrificial, very costly on your behalf. And we honor you today, Lord. We praise you. Lord, as we were singing, Lord... Uh, just a few moments ago, Lord, it was really a prayer that, Lord, you would hear us from heaven, that you would work in our generation. Lord, the things that we have read, so many of these things that we have read in Revelation are, are future things. And, Lord, we realize that the future of this world, Lord, it's not a pretty picture. And, Lord, many, many will be lost. But Lord, we still, we are in this age of grace. Lord, will you extend your mercy, your loving kindness, that, that whosoever will freely come, that Lord, you will give them that water of life. Lord, you'll give them the Holy Spirit. You'll give them redemption and salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you have wrought Lord, all that you have invested. 
And Lord, we're thankful to know the true and the living God. We're thankful, Lord, to have lives that are redeemed, that you've given us purpose, you've given us meaning. And Lord, it's because, Lord, we know you, the true and the living God. And Lord, you've given us a wonderful compass here in your word. And I pray for us this morning, Father, that, Lord, as we come and we look at these things, that, Lord, we would have a future and a heavenly perspective. Lord, too many, Lord, of your people today are, are living for the world. Lord, we want to live for Christ. We want to honor you. Lord, we realize this is all passing away. Lord, we're appreciative for what we have. We're, we're thankful. We're really grateful. But, Lord, it has a very short shelf life. Lord, as, as the scripture says, we brought nothing into this world. We will take nothing out. Lord, the only thing that will come with us is people. And Lord, I pray that we would have that. Lord, you, you came to seek and save that which is lost. Give us, give us that perspective, Lord. Lord, give us those kind of reference points. That, Lord, we would not get so entangled. Lord, we pray in all this stuff down here. But, Lord, we'd be living for you, for your kingdom, for your honor, for your praise. Lord, meet with us now, I pray. Lord, open your word to us. Lord, these future things, Lord, uh, Lord, they're important because they're in your word. They're important, Lord, because we don't want any of our loved ones, Lord, to perish. Lord, uh, we don't even want our neighbors to perish. Lord, our, our enemies, you tell us to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. Lord, we can't think of any more of a loving thing to do than to point them and to tell them about you. So, Lord, uh, Lord, bless your word to our hearts today. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled our message this morning, And Justice for All, because our God is not only a loving God, but he's a just God. Uh, he's, he's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful. Uh, his judgment is so small, in a sense, when we think about this age of grace, this offer uh, of, of free salvation has gone on now for close to 2,000 years. Uh, and this time of judgment, uh, the tribulation uh, as we speak of it, uh, the seven-year period, uh, such a brief period compared to you know, this time of grace. And, and then and what's going to uh, follow that will be uh, this millennial reign where he will reign on the earth. And we talked about that last week, uh, about even after this is the closest the earth will ever be to utopia. Um, and yet people will still rebel. They're going to rebel at the end of the millennial reign. Imagine that. Uh, they're basically, and it's, it's just, in a sense, it's no different now. It's like people don't like the way God runs the world. Uh, we, think some, we think oftentimes that, you know, we just have a better idea. Uh, and the fact of the matter is we don't. And isn't that a wonderful revelation to come to that place of understanding that I need Christ? You know, you have, you, it's like you're, you're, you're running your life, you're at the controls of your life, and you realize, I cannot really control my life, uh, and how quickly life spirals out of control, uh, and then we, we come to this place where we hear the gospel, and we, we realize that, yes, this is it, this is what I need to do. I need to turn my life over to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and of course, when he comes in, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, there have been many uh, TV shows and films about courtroom drama. 
Uh, starting back in the 1950s, I remember as a kid watching Perry Mason, okay? And uh, as a matter of fact, they still have that on TV. They have some of the reruns. Uh, and then in the 70s, it was Matlock. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's, and there's so many compelling films about courtroom dramas and that sort of thing. And, uh, and of course, all of us were watching the live feed, you know, for the OJ trial as the prosecution and the defense went, you know, went back and forth. But this courtroom scene is going to differ so much from any courtroom uh, scene that has ever transpired and ever taken place. And in the words of Warren Wearsby, he says this. He says, there will be a judge, but there will be no jury. Uh, there will be a prosecution, but no defense. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. And that's because the only lawyer and advocate, they've refused him. They've rejected him. You know, the Bible reveals to us that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Uh, I think it was at 1 John chapter 2, uh, that he is our wonderful ad advocate, uh, that he, he has gone before God, and, and again, you can put it within that courtroom kind of a context. He's gone before the great judge, uh, and he has basically, he has paid, you know, he has taken our punishment upon himself. Uh, but we're, we find at this particular point, uh, and it's interesting too, when you look over the course of maybe someone's life, and we don't always see, we can't um, measure that, uh, as far as the grace of God reaching out to that particular person, um, you know, the Holy Spirit offering to them salvation, uh, somebody, you know, somebody maybe close to them uh, sharing with them the gospel, them reading a gospel track, them watching maybe the Billy Graham uh, crusade on TV. And it's amazing how many times through the course of someone's life that the gospel will go out to them and God will touch them with truth and draw them. But there comes a point, there comes a point in time uh, where basically someone makes that final rejection. And God knows where that is. We don't know where that is. We don't fully understand uh, where that may be in someone's life. And when that takes place, there's just, God makes it resolute. God makes it resolute in the sense that they have made that final rejection of the offer of Jesus Christ and his salvation. And that's what has taken place here. And imagine that after having rejected that and to be in e eternity without Christ. Imagine the lamentation. Imagine the sorrow. Uh, that yet they were so close. You know, they, they, they thought about it maybe several times, maybe at an altar call or um, you're reading some material, uh, the importance of, you know, well, someday, I imagine there'll be many people in eternity that will, you know, that, that basically have said, I, I, you know, I realize I need Christ. I need him, but I'm not ready yet. And we never know. We never know when life will, you know, basically transpire, when life will be over. We never know that. Isn't it shocking when a young person, you know, steps into eternity, somebody that we know, maybe a neighbor or a relative or whatever the case may be, and it's like, wow, uh, they were snuffed out in the prime of their life. Uh, so it's important, I think, you know, when we feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit of God that we need to allow the Lord uh, to do his work and to finish his work as he offers us this free gift of salvation. I think some people, sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm not ready yet, or uh, I think I need to have more fun, or whatever the case may be. Listen, you're not going to have more fun the most wonderful experience in life is coming to know the true and the living God. You know, when he fills your heart and when he fills your life with truth and with himself, with his blessed Holy Spirit. Now, as we come to verse 11, the, 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 the millennial reign is over. The final rebellion against Jesus Christ has been snuffed out. And this is a very interesting scene that we have here. 
uh, as John sees this whole thing transpire and take place. And of course, we're going to see that as well. Uh, and, 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 and again, like I said, it must seem kind of unreal because what's going to take place is the earth, as, as basically we know the earth, will be destroyed. The sky will recede like a window shade, and the galaxy and the universe will disappear. And you know, this is not the only time we find this in Scripture. Uh, over in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter speaks this very same thing. Uh, he says in chapter 3, verses 10 uh, through, through 13, he says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away uh, with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And he, and he gives an exhortation in verse 11. He says, therefore, since all these things uh, will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought uh, you to be in holy conduct and godliness and looking for and hastening the coming day of God uh, because of which the heavens uh, will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so uh, that's what we find over in chapter 21 and 22. going to be a new heavens and new earth. This one is going to be, a, even, even you know, when you think about the renovation that takes place after the, the tribulation period and the millennial reign, uh, you know, it's, God is still going to do away with it. Uh, that based, the, I think it's in Job says, the heavens are not clean in his sight. Uh, so there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem that comes down uh, from heaven out of God. So time and space are gone, eternity remains, and all John sees here is this great white throne. And this is where we find that the unbelieving dead, this is where they will finally, this is where their judgment will be. Now, John says here in verses um, 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, not singular but plural, books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. So John here, and we as well, will be witnessing, I think it's an awful spectacle, because of what it means, what it, what's going to transpire, what's going to take place here. This is what is referred to as the second resurrection. Remember, was it last week? I think we talked about the first resurrection. And it's all those who believe, all those that have trusted in Jesus Christ. And we talked about uh, the four parts of the first resurrection that take, uh, that take place, uh, starting with the resurrection of the Lord and Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, then there would be the, the, um, the rapture of the saints, um, and then uh, uh, over, let's see, I think it's chapter 20, verse 4, those will be resurrected, to the martyrs and so forth, after uh, those that have died during the millennial, uh, excuse me, during the tribulation period. But we see here, these that are dead, or basically these, these uh, that he refers to, are these, the, these are unbelievers. These are that have rejected the offer of salvation. So they have a resurrection, but it's not the same resurrection that you and I will have. Uh, Jesus, too, spoke of this. Over in John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus said this. Um, he basically verified that there will be uh, two different resurrections when he said this uh, in chapter 5, verse 25. You can either jot that down or turn there if you want to turn there quickly enough. But he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the Son of Man, excuse me, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, 
uh, and those who hear will live. And as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, which would be the second uh, resurrection. Uh, he says, I can of myself do nothing, and as I hear I judge, my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, uh, but the will of the Father who sent me. So uh, he, no doubt, is our, will be the future judge, uh, even though at that particular point, uh, and even now, he is the Savior. Uh, he will be the defense attorney to anyone who commits their life to him. Uh, and his defense will not be turned away. Remember, the Lord says, whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. I will no way cast out the person who truly comes to the Lord in faith, putting their faith in him. And it's interesting, too, when you come to the Lord in faith, you have a very, 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 very limited understanding. It's only as we really come to Christ and we're illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So when you come to Christ, man, there's, like, there's major, major question marks in anybody's life. And, and I came to Christ on a question mark, but I was sincere. And I think many of us do that as well. But, when, but after you come to him, man, the insight, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the ability that he gives you to discern and to see and to understand, you know, what's in the word of God and the truth and all of that. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was coming to Christ, I was just, all that I heard about Christ, I was hoping it was right. I mean, in one sense, it almost sounded too good to be true. Oh, it's good or right. It's awesome. If you've not put your faith in Christ, don't wait any longer. It, it's the best thing that an individual can do because God's created you, for, you and me for that. He's created us for relationship with himself. And the soul is never in rest or peace until we enter in to this most glorious of all relationships with our Lord uh, and with our Savior. You know, somebody said this, death is the great equalizer. Isn't that true? Because, you know, the thing is, the fact is that no matter what somebody's station in life may be, that we, everybody stands before the Lord. And this group here, they stand before him without any means of escape. You know, people are very resourceful, and especially people that have means. Very, very resourceful. They escape all kinds of difficulties and problems. Sometimes they buy themselves, you know, they buy themselves uh, justice. Uh, and they're able to, you know, when things come apart, you know, fall apart in a country, well, they're able to, because they've got all their holdings in another country, they've got all the Swiss bank accounts, wherever the case may be, and so they just fly away, and they've got homes some other place. And there's a lot of people like that, very wealthy people. They've always been able to escape the difficult moment, the crisis. But you know what? Death is the great equalizer. Everybody is going to stand before the true and the living God, even though people think, people say, well, I don't believe that. Oh, really? <laughs> like, 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 you're not believing it. It's not going to happen. What a deception, isn't it? Therefore, you know, you know therefore, I don't believe it. It's not going to happen. Boy, are they going to be shocked. John Caesar, the dead, standing before God in these books, these, these books that, that are opened. 
And again, the, these poor souls are resurrected, and either they're given their prior bodies to just before death, or they're given a body that is modeled and shaped and equipped for eternal judgment. They're resurrected in that kind of way. And remember, too, we will be there. We will recognize some of these people. Won't that be a heartbreaker? I'll be honest with you. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. When I get to heaven, I'm looking for a few faces. I'm looking for a few faces that I'm not sure are going to be there. And I imagine you will be too. You know, dear people, dear ones that, that maybe you've shared, you know, your faith with. And, and we sometimes don't know, you know, what transpires in a person's life, you know, moments before death. You know, there is the example in Scripture of the, the thief on the cross, 11th hour salvation. Because why? God's gracious. God's gracious is God's merciful. Don't be afraid to share your faith with those you love or those you know. So I've done a lot of funerals over the years. And I'll, one of the questions inevitably I'll always ask if there's a believer, you know, related to the person, I'll say, did they know the Lord? Boy, I'll tell you what, it changes the memorial service dramatically when a person knows the Lord because there's, there's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of God's people. There's a rejoicing. He's with the Lord. But I can't tell you how many times when I've, when I've asked that saint if they knew the Lord, they're like, I don't know. And my, one of my follow-up questions will be, did you ever share your faith with him? No. That's sad. That's sad. Because remember, Peter was given and given to the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And those keys are basically the declaration of truth. When you hand out the gospel, people may blow it away. They may mock it. But I'll tell you what, there is a key there. There's a key that will open up the door to eternal life. And, and I, think what to, I think the devil's pretty good at kind of beating us down, thinking, you know, well, I don't know very much. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's interesting how oftentimes some little snippet of the truth saves somebody. You don't have to know the entire Bible. <laughs> But share what you know. Share what God's done for each one of us. I, I mean, I don't know how soon the Lord is coming, but man, I get a sense. It's, it's you know, we're, we're, down, we're down to the wire. We, we don't know. But I, I, it just has a sense of what's going on in our world today. It, it's getting close. Now, we're told here in verse 12, the books were opened. Now, basically, what these books symbolize or represent, they represent carefully kept records of every thought, every word, every deed of this unbelieving group. 
Remember Jesus said in, in, in the gospel uh, about, you know, to be careful about every word you say. Every thought, every word, every deed will be taken into account. And I think there will no doubt be some that will try to justify their actions. They'll probably try to vindicate themselves. They'll probably make, try to make some kind of confession, you know, you know, claiming their own innocence or whatever the case may be. But you know the Bible says all their secrets will be revealed. Now these books here represent God doesn't necessarily need books. He doesn't need books. But it's, it's representative. It's representative. I mean, he has a computer system like you've never imagined. He doesn't need computers either. But he has, all that, he has all of that, all the actions where someone perhaps maybe would try to vindicate you know, themselves in some kind of way. And I imagine that the Lord, as they're standing before the Lord, that he just sort of flashes on them their life just like that. And all of a sudden they realize their motivation, you know, their deception, and all that stuff. God, you know, you know, that's why you know, we've come to realize that you can do something good, but you can even do it with the wrong motive, can't you? Oh, there's been things where I've, at time where I've done things to be seen of people. And it was only the Holy Spirit that revealed to me my lousy motive. <laughs> and the Lord sees through all those things. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, in our lives? One of the things I find that He's saving me from? Me! And I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for truth, for Him. Marjorie and I sometimes have this discussion, who's going to die first? That kind of happens, you know, when you get to a certain point in your life. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound morbid. <laughs> but maybe some of the older, you know, crowd here can, can have appreciation for that, you know, type of thing. And uh, she told me, I can't burn her. I can't create, cremate her. It's just, she, ain't, she, she won't stand for that. <laughs> I said, okay, no problem. I said, you, you can burn me. That's okay. That's, you can, that's, that's all right. No problem. It's economical, you know, kind of a thing. But, but here's, what I, here's my epitaph. Here's what I want. He kept me. I have no boast. I have no boast except... In the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, He wonderfully kept me. And it's true, I know of you as well. His keeping power, His wonderful, marvelous grace. Romans 2, 16 says this, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So He's going to judge all the secrets. There will be nothing held back from Him. Now this judgment, this great white throne judgment, what it, what it basically determines, their degree of punishment. Do you know that? There's degrees of punishment in eternity for the unbelieving, for the wicked who die in their wicked, you know, uh, in their unbelief. Just like, in a sense, there are just, just degrees of rewards for the believers. We, we've kind of talked about that. We've alluded that to that as we, you know, went through this part of Revelation. That's why it's important. Live for the kingdom. A lot of people say, well, I don't care about that. That's way out there. I don't care about that. Yes, you do care about it. You need to care about that. 
And don't throw away your service. Your commitment to serve. I see a lot of people just sort of jettison that. It's not important. And there's something about this world that always seems to supersede the things of the kingdom. And we need to, we need to guard against that, folks. This world never gets tired, never wearies of our time, our energy, and everything that we have. But remember Matthew 6.33, I think it is. Seek ye first. Put, it's put, put God first. In other words, prioritize our lives by putting him first. And he says, all the other stuff in life you, you and I are going to need, he'll take care of it. And a lot of times it's just a plain, simple lack of faith that we don't believe that he can do that. Well, you test him. You prove him. You prove him in a sense by putting him first. He's going to take care of you. He's faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his word. Now, the end of verse 12 says, and they, and they were judged by the things which were written in the books. Now, this judge is no other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, the, uh, Jesus said this, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And we're told in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, the, that, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. You know, the irony is here that they were offered a full pardon. That's the irony. They, they were offered a full pardon while they lived, but they rejected it. And I imagine that would haunt a person forever to realize that the very escape from where I am now, I, it was right there. It was offered to me time and time and time again. You know, my, 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 my wife was a believer. My husband was a believer. And, and I heard the gospel so many times. He says this two times at the end of verse 13. It's the second time he says it that they were judged according to their works. The thing is, you know, every soul has an appointment with death. Nobody gets a free pass. Actually, even us, the believers, we, we lose physical life. Because why? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But basically what we have, we, you know, our experience compared to the unbeliever is vastly different. Because of Christ, you know what? We have victory. I would imagine when the believer passes away, the angels are right there to meet him, to meet that man, meet that woman, and, and just convey them, transport them into the presence of Jesus Christ. But I cringe to think what it would be like for the unbeliever. Uh, I can remember, um, somebody has a book out. I, I, I don't know who it is. If, if, if you know who this, who, who, uh, authored this book. Uh, I'd love to know who it is because I've, 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 uh, I've heard some things uh, uh, spoken from this book. Uh, that was a book that basically talked about different unbelievers that they died and what they experienced after death. Horrendous. The, the death of the unrighteous is it, filled with all kinds of fear. 
There's almost like a spiritual anticipation of what's about to soon take place. I read the account of Stalin's death because it was recorded by his daughter. And you know, he was a seminary student. Joseph Stalin was a seminary student. In other words, he, he professed biblical truth to such a degree that, that he was preparing to go into ministry. There came a turn there somewhere. And that man alone is probably counted for like 30 million people that have been murdered under his rule. And she, she gives the account of the horror. And actually when he was dying, he was shaking his fist at God. The death of the wicked is an awful experience. But the death of the righteous can be a blessed, glorious moment. There's even accounts of, of, of individuals, believers, as they're passing away, seeing the angels coming for them. Paul speaks about to... Uh, for you and I, I want to read the New Living Translation of 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 57. For he says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of faith. That's the beauty of trusting him is that his victory on the cross over sin, over death, is just transferred. It's just transferred to the believer, to whosoever will you know, commit their life to him. He transfers. And, that, and it's such a wonderful thing when you think about that. That all that's in Christ is accrued to you, to me. That's why the psalmist speaks about the daily being loaded with benefits. The blessings of God. See, that comes to you and I. Paul, Paul puts it in this terminology, um, in a monetary kind of uh, terminology to, to basically communicate to the picture in a metaphorical kind of way. He speaks about the great riches of Christ. You're rich. You don't look too happy about it out there. How do you make that withdrawal from the bank? By faith. Amen. By faith. As we pray, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's how we draw on those great riches and those many benefits and blessings that he has given unto you and me. 
So we're told here in verse 13 that they are judged basically according to their deeds. Because you know why? Deeds reveal belief. Remember, James put it this way. Faith without works is dead. In other words, if faith is in there, we don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. And once, you know, once Christ comes into your life, it's like you want to serve him. Isn't it interesting, the Apostle Paul, he's blinded. He's saved probably for maybe, who knows, minutes or an hour. And what does he say? What, what will thou havest me to do? <laughs> he hasn't even had the scales removed from his eyes yet. Deeds reveal belief. What we really believe. What's really in our heart. Now in verse 14, we're told here, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now we're not given any exact location of this, this final place of torment, but we know this is called a place of darkness and outer darkness. Now where might that be? I don't know. We're told also too, it's not only outer darkness, but everlasting fire. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirteen, Jude thir- thirteen, Second Peter two seventeen. All these Bibles, all these references, rather Bible references, uh, underscore that uh, very thing that it will be outer darkness. Uh, it will be a place of everlasting fire. Now, one of the questions that you might ask is: There a special designed planet or galaxy for them? Remember the rich man Lazarus. Rich man went to hell. And remember in the, you know, the dissertation of that particular, it, it was not a, a parable. Uh, parables are, are, are nameless. When you have a name given, you have, you've got a real story there, folks. So here's a guy that's really in hell. But remember we're told there's a great gulf. There, there's this fixed separation, this great distance between, at the time, Abraham's uh, bosom, which was paradise, uh, and what we know as Hades. Uh, Henry Morris, Bible commentator, scientist, uh, writes this. He says, uh, all of these specifications seem to point to the likelihood, though we cannot be certain at this time, uh, that hell or Gehenna or the lake of fire will be located in some far distant star. A star, after all, is precisely that, a lake of fire. There are indeed stars and galaxies that, although burning, do not give off light uh, in the visible part of the spectrum. So they consist of both fire and cloudy darkness. One might even suggest a black hole would possibly fit this description. Whenever the lake of fire, whatever the lake of fire might, might be, may be, there is, a, there is still a question as to whether Uh, resurrected bodies can burn forever in a cauldron of real physical fire. It is possible, of course, that the fire will immensely consume these bodies so that they actually go through a physical second death similar to their first death, leaving their disembodied souls to suffer forever in the lake of fire. 
You know, as we understand and look at these portions of Scripture, they're not difficult. That's why so often they're not preached. But I think it's important for us to look at these things and examine these things. Because one of the things that I find as we've gone through this and we've looked at what's going to take place in the lives of those who reject Christ, I think it begins to put within our hearts a compassion. And you see the world, everybody, the, the, the great general assumption that we find in the world is everybody's going to heaven. That is one of the most grandest deceptions that have ever existed. I was, we were, Margie and I were just at a funeral last week. And as we speak, we, you just speak to, to so many different people. And it's just an assumption. It's assumption because maybe somebody got christened as a baby. Or they signed their name up on a membership role. Or they attended church. Or they ascribed in some kind of way to, you know, some element of Christianity. But it's all about this. This is the critical, essential question. Have you confessed your sin and received Christ in your life? That's what it is, folks. It's a conscious receiving and asking Jesus Christ to come in to my life. And that's a big, tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Because all of us that know Jesus Christ, we've been there at one time. It's hard letting go of our pride. Hard, let, hard letting go of our life. I was speaking to another man in the last month about salvation and about receiving the Lord in his life. And this whole protest says, I'm a good man. I'm a good man. And essentially, that, that becomes the, the, the defense of anybody and everybody who thinks that somehow I earn, I, uh, you know, I, I'm good enough to earn heaven on my own. And the Bible says there are none good, no, not one. In other words, we're all on even footing and ground at the foot of the cross. <laughs> And that, I, know that's, I know that when we say that, we have that discussion with people. And we tell them, well, I'm sorry, but... And you don't have to tell people they're not good. You don't even have to tell people that. You just say this. Here's what the Bible says. There is none good. No, not one. Wasn't that, honey, the thing that you, uh, wasn't that uh, the question you, res you responded to that when you were told that the night you came to Christ? And, sh and then she turned to, to 
the people that are telling this, telling her this, that she, I think you said, uh, then, then nobody gets to heaven. And he said, that's right. Not on your own merit. But on the merit of Jesus Christ. And anyone not found, verse 15, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. I think of any register, this, got, this has to be the most important document and register of names in all time and eternity. You want your name written in this particular book. Because this book contains all those who what? Belong to Jesus. It's a family book, isn't it? Those who basically have committed their life and surrendered their life to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've heard this question over the years. How is someone's name blotted out of the book of life? I've heard that. Have you heard that many different? I, I've heard that going back 40 years, I've heard this question. And it's based on Revelation 3. 3 verse 5, I think it is. He who overcomes, this is uh, to uh, the church at Sardis, uh, which is basically a dead church. But he or she who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Here's my view. And there's many agree that agree with me on this. Every person who has ever conceived and given life, they're recorded in the book of life or the book of the living. Their name is recorded there. But there comes a time as they go through life and they're presented with the truth of Jesus Christ over and over again. When they make that final decision to reject that offer of Jesus Christ, their name is blotted out. God makes resolute that decision. And I don't think God in any way is capricious or, 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 or fickle. He gives a person many different opportunities. He's merciful. His mercy rejoices over judgment. But it's important that we never trifle with the mercy of God. And the offer of God. But when he gives us that opportunity, we need to take advantage of that. Well, we're going to close. Going through these sections is not easy, is it? Difficult stuff. It's life and death. It's heaven and hell. But that's what everybody will face at the end of time. Now, I don't know where each one of us are this morning, where we stand with the Lord. But if you want to surrender your life or a part of your life, even a part of your life, 
I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. If you're, if you're offering your life to Jesus Christ, he knows. He knows. He sees what's in our hearts. Don't hold back. Do not hold back. You have no promise you'll be alive tomorrow. And there's nothing as wonderful as a surrendered life. Given over to him. That's the blessed life. Amen? Father, I thank you for each and every one who has stood up this morning. Lord, you see our hearts. You know the condition. You know whether we're saved or unsaved. You know, Lord, if we're wrestling with something. And we thank you, Lord, that as we, Lord, go through life, it's comprised of many different surrenders. But I pray especially, Lord, for that person that may be surrendering today for the first time. And Lord, we realize how hard that is. We realize that we have to fight our pride. And I pray that, Father, you would grant faith, especially to that person, whoever they are. Lord, you're the author of faith. Lord, you've chose us before we've chosen you. And Lord, we... As we've read this morning, we assign great value to having our names, Lord, recorded in that book. Lord, that gives us an eternal reservation. And we thank you, Lord, that you purchased it for us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, bless your people. Lord, you honor faith, you always do. You're gracious, you're good, you're kind. You're so merciful, Lord. And Father, as we leave this place today, we go out into a world that's filled with people that are in unbelief. And many people are in their happy unbelief. That they have no idea what the future holds. But Lord, you've shown us. And give us, I pray, Father, a love for the lost, so often, Lord, we're out there in the world and we're, we're bugged by people. We're bothered by the way they act or how they may treat us. But Lord, you were on the cross when they were spitting on you. And you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, give us that kind of compassion. Give us the love of Christ. We realize we know who we are. We know our weakness, Lord. We know our vulnerability. We need your life. We need your power within us. So God, I pray, Lord, bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.